Amen. We thank you that we serve a God who does have arms of love, a God who we can draw near, not a faraway, distant God, but a loving and merciful and gracious Heavenly Father who loves us so much. Lord, we pray right now as we go to your word that you administer to every heart that is here. And we thank you, Lord, that in our weakness you are made strong. We thank you, Lord, that in our perfection, imperfections, that you are perfect, Lord. And I just ask that you would speak through this unworthy vessel to every heart that is here, that you might be glorified, that we might be drawn closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. If you don't have a Bible, do raise your hand because we would love for you to be able to follow along. If you have your Bible, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 3. Continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. encourage you to read 1 Corinthians chapter 8 for Sunday. Continuing our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament on Sunday morning. And uh, guys, be praying about coming out on Friday mornings. We go, we're going through uh, the Old Testament as well on, Sunday mo- or on uh, Friday morning out at the Heavenly Cafe. Great time being able to pray with each other. Women, there's a women's study on Tuesday morning and Tuesday night. It's neat to have those you can fellowship with and, and have pray with you. So the title of the message tonight is Responding to God's Promises. And what we're going to see is, and what we, we all know, and we should learn to live by more, I know I need to, is that God's Word is filled with wonderful, incredible promises to the believer. We have the promise of the Holy Spirit who came to live inside of us. We have the promise that God will never leave us nor forsake us, that we're never going to be alone. We have the promise that He will give us a life, a life and life more abundant. We have the promise of eternal life to come. We have the promise that He's coming back for us. It says in Acts chapter 1, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will soon come in like manner as you saw Him go into heaven. God's Word is filled with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of promises. And sadly, often as believers, we don't live like we truly believe what God's Word says. Too often we, we live lives of, we're defeated and we're torn up and we're, you know, we're really struggling all the time, but we need to learn to live trusting in the promises of God. And that's exactly what's happening here in Deuteronomy, is that we've come to a place where Moses is about to ascend into, is about to die, he's about, and they're about to head into the land of promise. And as Moses is about to die, he's speaking to that next generation, and he's sharing with them all that he has learned, all that he's been taught directly by God, all that he had shared with the older generation that had rebelled, and he's preparing them to enter into the land of promise. And what he shares with them is the promises of God, the laws of God, the works of God. And he sought to equip this next generation. And much of that generation that entered into the land of promise, again, knew very little of what had happened to the previous generation because they were very young when they went through the Red Sea. Some of them were not even born because every male above the age of 20 died in the wilderness. So that meant the oldest person that was going to enter into the land of promise when they went through the Red Sea was 19. So certainly those people would have remembered, but some were not even born for 20 more years after they passed through. And they needed to be educated. They needed to understand God's promises and God's faithfulness. You know, one of the most important responsibilities, we've talked about this, of the older generation is to minister God's truth to the next one. And we know that though God's people rebelled, He remained faithful to His promises. And we can trust God to be faithful to His Word. We can trust Him to be faithful both in our walk here and now and the promises that He's given us about eternity to come. That as we walk with the Lord, that He is faithful. Even when we're facing difficulty, I know that a lot of us in this room tonight, just because the number of people that are here, are going through difficult times. Whether it be struggles in your home or struggles at work or struggles with your finances or struggles with your your health or whatever it might be. And you need to know that you're not alone. That He promises never to leave you nor forsake you. And that 
through this test, you will not only have a testimony, but it'll be an opportunity for you to grow closer to the Lord before it's over. And what he's sharing with the children of Israel is that the tests are about to come. And as these tests come, it's going to be an opportunity for you to have a testimony, and it's going to be an opportunity for you guys to grow spiritually. God had made clear and specific promises to the children of Israel to both deliver them out of bondage and also to, to lead them into a land flowing with milk and honey. And God had fulfilled those promises. Remember, he told them, I'm going to deliver you out of bondage. He delivered them out of Egypt. Remember the ten plagues. After the plagues, he delivered them through the Red Sea. After the Red Sea, he encamped them in the cross, and they were headed to the land of promise. He dropped manna out of the sky. He brought water from a rock. They could have trusted him. And sadly, what happened when they got to the land of promise, they didn't trust God. Although he had done so many things for them already, they didn't believe he would do even more. Even though he had told them and promised them in his word. Deuteronomy 1, he reminded them of the promises he had made to their parents and how they had refused to enter into the land. And when they refused to enter into the land, that they had missed out on God's highest. God would have delivered them. He already had. He would have provided for them. He already had. He would have continued to supernaturally lead them. But when they arrived at the promised land, they listened to the words of ten men over the words of God. Remember, they sent the spies into the land. God had told them, go, it's yours. Sent the spies in, 10 came back, said, there's giants in the land, we can't possibly win. And they listened to the words of men instead of the words of God. You know, we live in a time today when there's a lot of confusion about truth. And the reason that there is, is too often we listen to what men say instead of what God says. We need to be more studying of God's word and studying to show ourselves approved, workmen who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And then he told them the result of rebellion, and what happened was that they, got to, they had to watch their parents die in the wilderness. An 11-day journey turned into a 40-year death march. And for 40 years, people were dying every single day. Why? Because they just didn't listen to what God said. They didn't heed His promises. And the same can be true for us today. We can be like the children of Israel, just wandering around, marking time, having lives that really don't have an impact on eternity because we're too focused on our circumstances and we're not listening or trusting what God has to say. At the end of their wandering, we get to Deuteronomy chapter 2, he told them to turn and go northward. They've been going around in circles for 40 years and he says, now go northward back to the place I originally had for you. And they start to head in that direction. And you know what? As, as they were walking in obedience to the Lord, what was the first thing they ran into? Opposition. You know, often we think that if I'm doing great in my walk with God, I'm not going to have any trials in my life. That's not the case. Amen? James chapter 1 says, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials. Not if, but when. And trials produce patience and draw us closer to God. And it's the difficulties that cause us to become more desperate for Him and more fully reliant upon Him. And so they start to head to the land of promise like He told them. And along the way, they start running into different group peoples. The first group was the Edomites, if you remember, the descendants of Esau. And God told them what? Through Moses, don't touch these guys. Now again, they could have been impatient. They've been wandering for 40 years. It could have been very easy for them just to jump on the first people they saw. Maybe you're here and you're single tonight, and you've been waiting a long time to be married. Don't just jump toward the first person you see who's single. Amen? Oh, go to church, Christian, check the box. Good, right? Don't do that. Wait for God's highest. And he said, be patient. So they went right on by the Edomites. Then they came into the, to the descendants of Lot the Moabites and the Ammonites. And he said, don't touch them either. They're descendants of Lot. And Lot was righteous. Don't touch him. And finally they came to the Amorites, if you remember from last week. And God told them, okay, I want you to go in and fight them. Now the Amorites were also known that much of, of who was in their camp were what they would call giants. 
And these giants that were in the land were very similar to the giants that were in the land when their parents came. And when their parents came, they saw the giants and they ran the other way. Why? Because they, did, they were faithless. You know what? When we find out how faithful we are when things get difficult, it's easy to be on the cruise ship to heaven. It's easy to follow God when everything's perfect. But how about when things get tough? How do we respond then? And so now they're faced with this, these giants in the land. And God has said, I want you to go and fight him. I want you to go and enter into battle. And this time, unlike their parents, they obeyed. And what happened? You were here last week. What happened? They won the battle. They wiped him out. And they wiped him out completely. So now you would think, okay, great. They've been obedient. They've wiped out the enemy. Certainly now they're just going to cakewalk right into the land of promise. Right? They defeated the first enemy that came along. Certainly there won't be more than one problem in your life. Right? As long as you deal with that one, then it'll be smooth sailing the rest of the way. Well, guess what? Right behind them was an even greater enemy, an even greater struggle. So tonight we're going to talk about responding to God's promises. That when we hear that God has said something to us, that we can trust Him, even when it doesn't make sense. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things what? Not seeing. Not seeing and then believing, but believing and then seeing. And so he tells them to, to respond to God's promises. Respond, and we're going to see first that they respond in obedience, and they're going to have victory. But then we're going to see those who are going to settle for less than God's highest. They're not going to totally trust God's promises, and they're going to miss out on what God has for their life. And then finally, we're going to see Moses as he pleads with God to enter into the land of promise. But we're going to, I'm going to love, at the very end of this chapter, just seeing Moses' heart, because he responds in a way that really blesses me, and I believe will bless you. So let's begin in Deuteronomy chapter 3, in verse 1. And we're going to see responding to God's promises. There's hundreds of them in the Bible. Do you believe that God's, when God says it, is it true? Can we trust it? We should live like it. And I have to confess, I, like all of us, struggle sometimes with some of God's promises. We know it here, but we need to start knowing it here and start living it every day. Amen? And so let's begin in verse 1. As they faithfully respond in obedience, and they're going to have victory because they trust His promise. It says, Then we turned, after defeating the people of, of the uh, Amorites and Sihon their king, it says, Then we turned and went up the road to Bashan, and Og, the king of Bashan, came out against us, he and all his people, to battle at Edri. Now let me tell you about this guy Og. It's not Oz, the wizard of Oz. But this guy, Og, for a better word, was a hog. This guy was huge, okay? He was buried, we're going to see in verse 11, in a sarcophagus that was 13 and a half feet tall and 6 and a half feet wide. Now how big do you have to be for your coffin to be that big? You're a big guy, right? His name, it's interesting, his name means mighty, his name means strong, his name means gigantic, and his name also means round. He's probably all of those things, right? It's, it's interesting, in another language, his name means cake. I thought that was interesting. Guy's big, he's round, he's gigantic, and his name means cake, so he probably had some of that, right? Now, Bashan was this really, really fertile land. It was one of the most fertile lands around, and they're headed toward this fertile land. And as they're headed there, this soft, fertile place, it's bordered on the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River. Those of you guys who went with us to, to Israel, one of the most beautiful, lush places on this planet, that area that surround between the Jordan and the Sea of Galilee. And that was the area that they were headed into, but as they toward the land of promise, as the land gets more and more fertile, guess what's waiting for them? A greater and a greater enemy. You know, as we push on in our walk with God and we pursue Him with our whole heart, the enemy is only going to get greater and greater, not less and less. Now, 
Well, Pastor Davey just convinced me what I need to do. I just need to just relax and not get so fired up about God. Because if I do, the enemies are just going to get bigger and I'm not ready for that, right? But the reality is, who does, you know, does, do you know that Satan's resources are limited? By the way, Satan is real, amen? But Satan is a defeated foe, amen? But as Satan has limited resources, as a third of the angels fell from the sky with him, fell from heaven, when he fell from heaven with a third of the angels, that means he doesn't have unlimited resources. He is not the opposite of God. You know why? God's omnipresent. He's not. God can be everywhere at once. Satan cannot. God knows everything. Satan does not. Amen? So where does Satan put his resources? Who does he go after? He doesn't go after the lukewarm Christian who's doing nothing for the kingdom of God. Because that person's, the battle's already been won. Right? That guy never shares his faith. That gal never does anything for the Lord. I'm not worried about them. But those who are on fire for God, let me attack their marriage. Let me go ask the Lord if I can sift them like I did Lot. Let me go after those who are being used mightily by God. So now as we get closer to the land of promise and they're finally going to enter in the place that God has for them, guess who's waiting? The biggest enemy they face to date. And it's Og, and he is a king over 60 cities. And as we're going to see, these cities have huge walls and gates and bars. And we've got the children of Israel who are outmanned. They're smaller in size. They're smaller in number. They've got less, less of a background of fighting and battles. From the world's perspective, it would be game over. It'd be like Mike Tyson and, I don't know, Pee Wee Herman, right? I mean, it's just not going to work. You've already lost. And the reality is that as they go, this enemy is getting larger and larger. And the closer we walk with God, the more fruitful our walk the greater opposition we're going to face from the enemy. Satan, again, isn't worried about a fruitless walk. So this guy, Og, his name means gigantic, and he certainly was that. Again, a 13 and a half foot long coffin, six feet wide. This guy was also known for being a great warrior, and his armies were known for their great battles. They were wiping people out. And so now the children of Israel are marching in obedience. Their parents were disobedient and wandered in the wilderness and died. Now they're being obedient, and what's in front of them? A huge enemy. Again, a lesson for each of us to understand. It says there, uh, the word edry means cloud of masses. So again, I believe it means that along the way, they're going to meet this huge and mighty army from the world's perspective. Now how do you think they would, re- would feel when they're marching along? Because it says here, we turned and Og and Bashan came out against us. So we're just minding our own business, going in the direction God told us, and all of a sudden, here's this army right in front of us, ready to attack us. What do you think their initial response would be? What would it be? Run away. What else? What's what's an emotion you might have? Fear. Right? Fear. Hey, if if I was back in an alley and Shaq showed up mad at me, I'd, I'd be afraid. Somebody three times my size and wants to tear me up, I would be afraid. And so they're going along, they're just obeying God. They got women and children with them, and they're just moving in the right direction. And all of a sudden, out come these mighty warriors, these giants, and, and they come out against them to attack them. And now look at the Lord's word to them. And the Lord said to me, Do not fear him. Now, why did he tell them, Do not fear him? Because they did. You don't have to tell somebody, Don't be afraid, unless they're afraid, right? So he says, don't fear him. Don't fear him. Don't be afraid. The Lord encourages them through Moses not to fear. Why should they not fear? Let's read the rest of it. For I have delivered him and all his people and his land into your hand. That would be a what? A promise. Now, I'm in the alley 
let's say there's five guys Shaq size. You know, seven foot five and 350 pounds apiece against me. And not only that, they're mighty warriors, they're carrying shields and spears, and I'm out there, you know, with my keys in my hand, right? And the Lord says, don't worry about it, I've already taken care of it. Are you sure? I mean, wouldn't that be your response? Hey, Lord, why don't, you, why don't you just zap him with some lightning so I can just know that, right? But the reality is, once again, how does faith work? It's not seeing and then believing. It's believing and then seeing. At some point, you've got to step toward the enemy and say, Lord, I trust you. You've told me I believe you. I trust you. I'm going. And so they're faced with this enemy. He says, I have delivered, and I love with God. Not I will, but I have. Because in God's eyes, it was already done. The battle belongs to the Lord, and the battle's already been won. And that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear. The Bible says that perfect love casts out all fear. You plus God is the majority. Amen? If, you're on God, if God is on your side, it doesn't matter how big the other army is. And what's, what happens is, only when we go through those difficulties, and having just defeated the Amorites, who were a bigger army than them, they already knew, well, okay, you know, we've seen God do it before. There's a chance he'll do it. Oh, you know what, Lord, you were faithful to your word before. You're going to be faithful again. You know, one of the things that happens as we grow in our relationship with God and we walk with him longer and longer, we get to see God work again and again and again and again and again. And what does that do? It increases our faith that he'll do it next time. Amen? The last time you were low on money and God came through, you'd say, now you're low on money again. you say, you know what, he's going to come through again because he always has. Last time you were struggling in your marriage and God came through, you can say, you know what, God's done it before. I can know he can do it again. Last time you're struggling with your, with your teenage kids or your job or whatever it might be, you've seen God come through before and now you try. You know what, God can do it again. Our God is faithful. He's a great and awesome God. Not I will, but I have. He's already done it. And praise God for that. And he says to them, I've delivered him into your hand and you shall do to him as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt at Heshbon, you shall do to him as you have done. Again, not only had the promise of future victory, but was reminded of that past success. So the longer we walk with God, you guys, the greater our faith should grow, and the more we can look back and see God's mighty hand. That's another reason why God wants us to disciple others. When you go through difficulty, I promise you, you need to understand and know that God will use that not only in your life, but for you to minister to somebody else. When you're in the middle of a trial and you're going through a storm, know that God's not only going to minister to you through it, but there's going to be somebody in that same storm a month from now, six months from now, or a year from now, and there may be many of them, and you're going to be able to say, I know exactly how you feel. I've been exactly where you are, and let me tell you what God did. And you know what that does? It also, you have greater faith because God delivered you from it, but you also can instill faith in others because you can say, our God's greater than that. I've seen him do it. And he'll do it in your life as well. Just trust him. So he said, just as you've already done. You, I already brought victory to you before. We'll bring victory again. Verse 3. So the Lord our God also delivered into our hands Og, king of Bashan, with all his people. And we attacked him until he had no survivors remaining. This is an incredible victory. Because we're going to see he had 60 walled cities. Bars and gates, warriors, giants in the land, and he's fighting the Israelites. The Israelites were a bunch of people who wandered in the wilderness till they all died, and they've been eating manna, right? We don't even know what they have for weapons. But the reality is, God's on their side, amen? And we need to learn to understand, again, if God is for us, who can be against us? 
And our flesh wants to preserve itself. Our flesh wants to run away. And what did they do? They responded in faith. God said, I have delivered you in, them into your hand. And they said, okay, let's go. And no doubt, can you imagine as they move toward them, there still must have been some, boy, I hope the Lord comes through, right? You ever been there? Writing out the check for your mortgage and, Lord help, right? You, you know, you, you go down to the grocery store and you're just trying to figure out how is this going to work and you're praying for your kids or whatever it might be and you're just like, Lord, I believe you can come through. I believe it. And then sometimes when he does, we're shocked, right? Have you ever done that? I've done it. I've prayed for people to get healed and they call me and tell me they're well and I'm like, really? Right? Shouldn't be that way. The lady covered head to toe in cancer, gave her a few days to live down in Lancaster. Has nothing to do with any man. It's all God. Men don't, do, you know, they call for the elders because it's just an act of faith on our part. It has nothing to do with our hands or any oil we have. It's all God. Amen? But when she calls three days later, says, I went to the doctor and my cancer's all gone. I was like shocked. I prayed for it with not much faith evidently, right? Because I prayed and it happened and then I was blown away, right? The reality is the same can happen for all of us if we don't truly learn to trust in his word and believe what he says. And they believed him. And look, at I, I love this. They attacked him. Can you imagine Pee Wee Herman going after Shaq? You know what I mean? Can you imagine some little army of these, and they come going after the giants, and they attacked them. And the word there is that they did have swords, because the word for attacked is the same thing as using the sword against the, against the, the uh, Amorites. And the sword in the Bible is always a representation of what? God's word. You know, if there's giants you're struggling with in your life, giant sin that you're struggling with in your life, giant struggles you're struggling with, you know, whatever it might be, the thing that will put it to death is the sword. It's God's Word. Start reading His Word. Start meditating on His Word. Let His Word become a part of you. Spend time in it, and God will lead and guide and direct your life, and He'll give you victory over the things that you struggle with. They were proactive with the sword, proactive with the Word, as you and I should be. And when we are, we'll have victory. Notice there, there were no survivors. Now, people struggle with this stuff. Again, we talked about this last week. Do you ever struggle when they wipe out all the men, women, and children? Somebody down at our, next to our office knows we're Christians, and he put up a sign saying, who would Jesus bomb? Because, you know, we're bombing, you know, we've got bombs going off in Iraq, and, you know. And here's the reality, you guys. The reality is that God is a God of love and grace and mercy, but you know what? There's also righteous judgment. Amen. And, you know, I'm not going to get political, you just know I'm not, but Saddam Hussein was a bad guy that needed to go, who was slaughtering his own people, period. That's an absolute fact. And yet, we, we struggle. Now, here's the reality, that those kings that are raised up, God will bring righteous judgment. And King and Og was a wicked, vile man. He was a man who was into idol worship. He was a man who was sacrificing his own children, and, and all the people were sacrificing their children unto idols. And God had given them opportunity after opportunity to turn to God. Canaan, who lived in Canaan? Bef hundreds of years, who lived in Canaan before? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do you think that there might have been a word about God in that, in that land? you think people might have heard about God where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob grew up and lived? Absolutely. They had creation. They had opportunity after opportunity. Instead, they said, we don't need your God. We're going to serve our idols. And God ultimately, after giving them opportunity after opportunity, brought righteous judgment. And he used the hand of the Israelites to bring it. But he told them they had to wipe them out completely. We'll talk about that in a second. And we took all his cities that time. There was not a city which we did not take from them. Sixty cities. All of the region of Argob. 
the kingdom of Og in Bashan. All the cities were fortified with high walls and gates and bars, besides a great many rural towns. And we utterly destroyed them, as we did Sion the king of Heshbon, utterly destroying the men, women, and children of every city. Again, sometimes it's hard for us to understand, but what you must understand is that if they had allowed any of the pagan idol worshipers to live and dwell with them, what would have happened? Israel would have fallen into the same thing. Israel didn't have any idol worshipers with them when they made the golden calf, right? They did that all by themselves. So you put some idol worshiping pagans in the land with you, guess what? They're so easily going to turn away. And you say, you know what? You've got to eliminate and you've got to cleanse the camp of anything that would worship any other god. The same is true of our homes. You've heard me say this many times. We need to cleanse our homes of stuff that will get our eyes off of the Lord. And only God can show you exactly what that might be in your home. But he says here, all the cities were fortified. And, and I've shared this with you before. When you go to Israel, it's interesting that the, that the Muslims have built a huge, like, fortified wall that's probably deeper than here. It's probably maybe as big as this whole room. And they've pressed it up against the eastern gate. And they've bricked it up so that the Messiah can't come back through the eastern gate. They figured they put some bricks up there. That'll keep Jesus out. Right? foolishness these are high walls and towers and gates and bars but you're battling against the creator of the universe who spoke the stars into the sky you're going to lose right and so what happens that what will happen when jesus comes back is that that little puny brick wall is not going to have you know it says when he put, puts his foot on the on the mount of olives it's going to split in half so if the mountain's splitting in half i don't think a brick wall is going to hold him back amen and, and so here, too, with this enemy, right, they've got these high walls, but the battle belongs to the Lord, and our God is greater than any foe. No matter how great the, the struggle you have right now, whether it's with a, 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 a behavior in your own life that you need to get rid of, God's greater than that, and He will help you if you will turn to Him. If it's, if it's something you're struggling with, if it's, your, if it's your marriage, if it's your job, whatever it is, God is greater than any struggle you could possibly have. And he loves you, and you're his child, and he cares about every detail of your life. They had to be completely destroyed because they were extremely perverse and wicked people who sacrificed, again, their own children. They had the witness of creation. They had the testimony of the Red Sea deliverance. They had the testimony of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in previous generations. But they rejected the, they rejected the true and living God. And again, they would have been a tool of Satan to seduce them if they allowed them to live on. So they quickly and completely destroyed them from the land. And when they did that, they wiped them out. And what's interesting is they used a much smaller army. They used people, again, that were outnumbered. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles that the eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one he can show himself strong on account of. Seeking how many? One. God can do great things through even one person. Maybe you're here and you're a student and you feel like you're the only Christian on your campus. God can do great and mighty things through one. Maybe the only Christian in your workplace. Maybe the only Christian in your neighborhood. God can do great and awesome things through even one person who's willing to allow God to use them. God's hand at work increased their faith. They'd look back and they could see God's hand of deliverance. Now, how much faith do you think they have now? How, how do you think these guys are doing after they've wiped out 60 cities? And they wiped out Og, right? Thirteen and a half feet tall, Og, the round guy, the cake eater, right? They wiped this guy out. They wiped out all the armies. Now they're just like, Lord, 
What a great and awesome God we serve. We have nothing to fear. They've yet to enter into the land of promise, and God was preparing them. Verse 7 and 8. But all the livestock and the spoil of the cities, we took his booty for ourselves. And at that time, we took the land from the hand of the two kings of the Amorites who were on this side of the Jordan from the river Arnon to Mount Hermon. You know, when we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. God blessed them with provision when they were obedient. By the way, God promises to provide for us, but he won't provide for somebody who's not willing to work. Amen? A man who does not work shall not eat, the Bible says. So if I'm not willing to work and I'm waiting for God to provide, he's given me hands, right? He's given me feet. He's given me a strong back. He's told me to go. So if I'm being lazy, so the same is true here. He's telling him, look, you go out into battle, and when they went into battle and they responded obediently to him, what did he do? He gave them the spoils, which would then provide food for them, which would then provide for, for all this three million people that were headed toward the land of promise. This was God's continued provision. When we're obedient, God is glorified, and we get blessed. Again, these two mighty kings... It's interesting, these guys were mighty kings, but they were no match for the king of kings. Amen? I don't care how mighty the king is, I don't care how great the government is, our God's greater than all of it. And praise the Lord that we're on God's side and we already know who wins. Verse 9 and, nine and 10. The Sidonians call Mount Sirion, the Amorites call it Sainir, this is Mount Hermon. All the cities of the plain, all Gilead, all Bashan, as far as Salca and Edri, cities of the kingdom of Og and Bashan. So these verses summarize the territory that they took over. And it went from a gorge called Arnon all the way to Mount Hermon. This was a huge territory. And they wiped it out simply by being obedient to God. You know what? I believe that the Bible tells us that God desires to do great and awesome things in our lives. And He can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Too often we think, well, I can't do that. You're right, you can't, but God can. Amen? And too often we think, well, I, you know, I can't start a Bible study at work. Nobody would come. Well, you won't know until you try. Amen? I can't really reach all my family members who don't know God. They won't listen to me. You won't know until you, until you try. Pray first. Ask God to go before you in the power of His Holy Spirit and then step out in faith and watch God do great things. You know what? We'll never see Santa Cruz be a Christian county. Right? How many of you, know, how many think that would be very difficult? If your hand's not up, you've you got way more faith than I do. Okay, here's the reality. This is a place that's known for it being very godless. But you know what? Can't our, couldn't our God turn this place right side up? Absolutely. And it could start in our hearts. So we need to believe that God can do great and awesome things and step out in faith and trust Him. Again, stepping out that He might be glorified, not that we will. Verse 11. For only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of the giants. So these were called the Rephium. These were the giantest of the giants. These were the biggest of all the giants. He was the last one left. And they wiped him out. And it says there, indeed, his bedstead, or also could be called his sarcophagus or his coffin, was an iron bedstead. How big do you got to be to be buried in iron? Okay, an iron bedstead. And it says, is it not in Rabbah of the people of Ammon? Nine cubits, that's 13 and a half feet, is its length. And four cubits its width, according to the standard cubit. So this is one big guy. But again, our God is greater than any enemy, than any foe than any great wall, than any massive army, than any giant man. None of them are a match for the true and living God. If God is for us, who can be against us? Sometimes as Christians, we feel outnumbered, and that's probably because we are. But again, if God is on our side, we have nothing to fear. So they responded to God's promise. How did it work out? 
Fantastic. They won the battle. They wiped out a huge army. And now they've got this huge territory. And they've got the spoils that will feed and prepare them as they enter into the land of promise. But not everybody responds in obedience to God's promises. Look at the next section. Because now we're going to see those who are willing to settle for less. Now we saw this when we studied Numbers 32 uh, some months back, about two months or so ago. Let's take a look. At this land which we possess at that time from Ariar, which is by the river Arnon, and half the mountains of Gilead and its city, I gave to the Reubenites and the Gadites. The rest of Gilead and all of Bashan, the kingdom of Og, I gave to half of the tribe of Manasseh. All the region of Argob with all, the, uh, with all Bashan was called the land of the giants. Jair, the son of Manasseh, took the region of Argob as far as the border of the Gershites. Geshurites, excuse me. The, the, this, they, they put these in here to embarrass your pastor, by the way. The Mahakites, and called Bashan after its own name, Havath Jar, to this day. I also called Gilead to Machar. And the Reubenites and the Gadites I gave from Gilead as far as the river Arnon, the middle of the river, as the border, as far as the river Jabok, the border of the people of Ammon. The plain also with Jordan as the border from Chinnereth, as far as the east side of the Sea of Arabah, the salt sea below the slopes of Pisgah. Now, if you guys remember from Numbers 32, extra credit, what happened? If you go to that portion of Scripture, when this battle was won, what happened? Reuben and Gad said, hey, this land right here is pretty sweet. And we already smoked Og and all of his folks, so there's no more enemies here. So why do we have to go all the way into the land of promise? Why don't we just stay here? Now, God had told them to go where? Into the promised land. And there's this temptation on our part to be happy with less than God's highest. And these guys looked, and from a physical perspective, it was a green land. It was lush. Remember I told you Bashan means fertile soil? It was a fertile place. It was great for cattle, and they had a ton of it now. God just gave it to them, right? They won this battle. He gives them all the livestock, all the spoils, and now God has blessed them, so what do they want to do? Just stay right where they are. You know, we've been blessed. Why do we got to go out there and battle anymore? I mean, we already wiped out 60 cities. How many cities do I got to wipe out anyway, right? Why don't I just stay here? Why don't I just stay here? It's lush here. There's no more enemy. It's going to be easy. We talked about this when we went through the text. You know, the land was paid for. It would cost them nothing. Again, not, not unlike us today where we might say, let's go move over there because housing's really cheap. Your houses are really cheap over there. And, you know, there's a good job waiting, and it's the easiest, most comfortable path, and it's the most pleasing thing to my flesh. And, you know, I'm just going to do that. And notice here, do you see anybody praying? Anybody asking God his opinion about any? By the way, if you make decisions, you haven't asked God for his, for his leading and his direction. Don't ask God to get you out of the mess after you've done it, right? I mean, that's what we do, right? We disregard God completely. We just charge on and do it, and then we're in a mess, and we're like, God, how did you let this happen to me? And he's like, uh, did you ask me when you did this? Don't say it's a woman I gave you. That's a woman you chose. I had someone else in mind, right? I mean, the reality is that we need to learn to trust God, and we need to learn to seek his face. We need to pray before we make these decisions. And so what happened here is they looked, and they saw it, and they said, man, this is pretty sweet. Let's just stay here. We don't have to go over the Jordan into the land of promise. That's, you know, that's what God wants, but I don't have to be one of those radicals. I don't have to be sold out for God. As long as I'm a Christian, got 
Somebody actually, did, you know, somebody made some get out of hell free cards. Did you know that? I've got one. It's in my wallet. It's right here. Get out of hell free card. You think I'm kidding, right? Now, sometimes we think I got my get out of hell free card in my wallet. I prayed the prayer. I walked the aisle. As long as I'm going to heaven, it doesn't matter how much more I serve God than that. Amen. Right. I'm forgiven. And these guys were kind of in that camp. Well, this is it's closer, it's easier, it's cheaper, it's paid for. There's no more battles to fight. Let's just stay here. Wasn't God's highest. Again, there's a temptation to settle for less. Don't take us over the Jordan, they said. May seem like an innocent request, but it showed their indifference to the Word of God. Can I tell you that the number one problem that we have as believers is showing an indifference to the Word of God. God's Word says something and we think it's God's ten suggestions right? They're not suggestions, amen? They're called commandments. And he gives them to us because he knows what's best for us and because he loves us. And we think, well, you know, but he doesn't understand my circumstances right now. And I, you know, I got a, me and God got a special understanding. I've had people tell me that. Me and God got a special understanding. I go, what, you're going to disobey him and he's going to bring judgment upon you? Is that the understanding? I mean, because the reality is that often we think that we can just do whatever and, you know, God's judgment, that's for someone else. And so these guys say, let's camp outside and it'll be good. It'll be just as nice out here. Well, we talked about this before. They disregarded God's word and they settled in the place that became known as, as Gad and their cattle later turned into what? pigs. Later in the time of Jesus, you see him going out to the Gadarenes, and what are they herding over there? Pigs. And they're not only pigs, they're demon-possessed pigs. Now, if you're a Jewish person, this is not good, because you don't eat bacon. What's a Jewish person doing herding pigs? Why did this happen? Because they didn't go for God's highest. Let's just settle right out here. It's all good. And not only were there pigs there, but there was a guy chained up that was out of control, and nobody could stop him. And sometimes we don't press on with our kids and we wonder why they're out of control. So you want to herd pigs? You want to have teenagers that are out of control? Settle for less than God's highest. Say, well, let's just be more like the world. And we don't have to go all the way sold out for God. We don't have to be that radical, do we? We don't have to trust all of His promises. Remember that we talked about this, spirits. I don't want to take a lot of time. Just remember the types. Egypt is a type of the world. They were delivered out of bondage, the bondage of sin. They cost over the Red Sea a type or a picture of, who remembers? Water baptism, right? They stepped in. They were then in the wilderness, and they headed through the wilderness, encamped in a what? In a cross. And as they were headed, they headed to the land of promise. And before they could go into the land of promise, they had to cross over what? The Jordan River. And the Jordan River is a type of baptism of the Holy Spirit. And these guys said, you know what? We got the get out of hell free card. We've been delivered from the bondage. We don't need to have that, you know, the Holy Spirit upon us thing. This is good enough right here. Can I encourage you that you're missing out on so much if you don't pursue God with your whole heart? Because what God has for you is so much better than the world has to offer. And the enemy will always tempt you with something that's attractive. He's not going to tempt you, you know, with an eight square foot shack on a railroad track, right? He's going to tempt you with a mansion. And he tempted them with lush green grass that would turn, into, turn them into pig herders because they didn't pursue God's highest. God's promises are always best. Remember there's more. Acts chapter 1, they were locked away. 
waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. And after the Holy Spirit came upon them, they did great and awesome things. As Christians, we're either climbing up or we're sliding down. We're either growing in our walk with God or we're falling away from Him. And they were willing to settle for less than God's highest. May we not allow that to happen in our lives. Amen? Pray every day, Lord, help me pursue you with my whole heart. Help me to hunger for you more than my necessary food. Hunger for your word more than my necessary food. That's what the Bible says. Look at verse 18. Then I commanded you at that time, saying, The Lord your God has given you this land to possess. Now, was this God's highest? No. There's God's perfect will, and there's God's permissive will. Because God had already told them what? I want you to go into the land of promise. And when they said, we'll take this, God said, okay. And he let them have it. Sometimes we'll do the same thing in our walk with God. We'll say, Lord, I'm happy to be right here. And the Lord, he won't force you to do anything. He will not force you to be more spiritual. He won't. He will encourage you. He will invite you. He will lead you if you will follow. But he will never make you follow. And the, the Lord's just looking. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro. He's looking for that one person that says, Lord, I want to follow. Lord, I don't want to give you some. I want to surrender all. And he allowed them to have less. It says there, all your men of valor shall cross over armed before your brethren, the children of Israel, but your wives, your little ones, your livestock, I know that you have much livestock, shall stay in your cities which I have given you. Again, notice that they have great deal of possessions, but quite often it's when we're tied down with a lot of possessions that we become satisfied with the physical and get our eyes off the eternal. When we have so much stuff, it becomes the passion of our life. It becomes the thing that we're consumed with. And we don't have any more time for God. And sadly, the, the saddest part of this whole part right here to me is that they left their kids behind to go into battle. May we never leave our kids behind. I don't have time to go into it, but they should have taken, you know what? Everybody else took their kids with them. And it was a testimony to their children. We should not leave our wives and our kids behind and go off into battle ourselves. Go off and do ministry ourselves and leave our family behind because you know what's going to happen? Our marriage is going to be destroyed. Our family is going to be harmed. It's not just about me growing personally, but our family growing together. Amen? That's God's design and God's plan. And so they left their wives. And again, God said, if you don't go at all, then I'm not going to give you the land, period. But you've got to at least go in and fight the, the giants. You know what I believe he did this for? He wanted to let these men walk in and see the promised land to see what they were missing. And nothing makes me struggle more with Christians than seeing somebody who's on fire for God for a while and then they fall away. You met people like that? I've been places and I see people and, they, and man, they're so excited about God and you see them six months later and you can't even get them to talk about God anymore. And these guys went in because he said, you have to go into the land and fight the battle with all the other tribes and then... If you want to go back and inhabit that land, you can. And you know what they did? They went in, they saw the land flowing with milk and honey and said, that's good for you guys. We're just happy to settle over here. We don't want to fight any more battles. We don't want to deal with any more giants. We're done. We just want to go back here and be and rest in what is physically comfortable. And sadly, Reuben and, and Gad would compromise and they would go in and they would see the land and they would fall away. And when they did, it impacted their tribes forever because now they were encamped outside of god's highest and if we do the same in our homes guys god's called you to be a spiritual leader you start compromising in your house it'll impact your kids not for a week or a month but for the rest of their life if we don't make a stand and say it's for me and my house we will serve the lord this is something that we should not compromise on verse 20 he says but your wives and children until the lord has given 
rest to your brethren as to you. And they also possess the land which the Lord your God is giving them beyond the Jordan. Then each of you may return to his possession which I've given you. Fine, if that's all you want, you can have it. But guys, you're going to be pig herders. And that's exactly what happened not many generations later. Now look at verse 21. And I commanded Joshua at that time, saying, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these kings. So will the Lord do to all the kingdoms through which you pass. You must not fear them, for the Lord your God Himself fights for you. Does that blow you away? It says God Himself fights for you. He's not just an innocent, you know, he's not just a, uh, an interested bystander. He's in the battle. And that's why they wiped out the other armies, because God's on their side. God never loses, by the way, ever. And so if God is on your side, you have nothing to fear. And he says, when you go into battle, the Lord is with you. When Reuben and Gad and half of Manasseh missed out on God's highest, they went back to, to the place where they were. But you know what? The battles that they had won served as a testimony. And look who he commands it to, Joshua, who, Who's going to take over from Moses? Joshua. So he calls the leader in, and he says, Joshua, let me open your eyes. See what has happened? I want you to remember this, because what I've already done, I'm going to continue to do. Again, I believe that for us, practically, that's a message for the dads, the spiritual leader in the home, to be the one to take initiative, to say, God, you've done great things. We need to learn to trust you going forward. Moms, the same thing with your kids. And so he opens up Joshua's eyes, and again, that test brings forth a testimony and it increases our faith and it prepares us for the next battle. And remembering God's past faithfulness is, is key to be able to trust Him as we go forward. And so he tells Joshua, just remember, because more giants are coming. Guys, sometimes we get delivered from one and don't you just go like this? Praise the Lord, right? Here's the reality as Christians. You're either headed into a trial, you're in one, you're headed out of one. It's one of those three, right? But another one's coming. But every time we go through one, it strengthens us for the next one. And so he's preparing Joshua. Not over. We're almost done. Verse 23. Then I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness, your mighty hand, for what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do anything like your works and your mighty deeds. I pray, let me cross over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, those pleasant mountains and Lebanon. Who's, who's speaking? Moses. I totally understand why Moses is praying this prayer. How long has Moses been hanging out with the three million whiners? Forty years, right? We want to go back to Egypt, right? Leeks and onions, I mean, I want some leeks, right? About, right? Remember that? He goes up on the mountain for 40 days, he comes down, they're out of control, worshiping a golden calf. This is his church, right? He's the pastor of these guys. They want to... They want to kill him. They want to rebel against him. They want to overthrow him. If they'd had congregational rule, he'd have been voted out three million to three, right? He'd had like Joshua and Aaron on his side and nobody else. And he continued to have to follow these, and he leads them through the wilderness for 40 years. And finally, now they're getting ready to enter the land of promise, and guess who doesn't get to go? Moses. And he says, come on, right? Lord, 40 years I was with these guys. Now, you know, can you imagine? He's probably, now, Lord, I'm 120. That's how old Moses was. And I spent 40 years as a prince in Egypt, right? And I thought I was going to be able to deliver myself, but that didn't work out too well. And then I spent 40 years out in the wilderness. So he went from being a prince to being a shepherd on the backside of the desert. So he would spend 40 years thinking he was somebody, 
Then he spent 40 years finding out, becoming a nobody. And now he spent 40 years proving that God can use anybody. Amen? And so he went from being a somebody to a nobody to proving God can use anybody. And he's 120 years old and he's like, okay, Lord, this has been a long journey. It's right there. Please, can I go? You know how your kids are, right? You can tell them no, and it's like, come on, right? And he just hears Moses, right? And he's looking up to his heavenly Father, and he's like, look. And I love this type of, of Christ again, Moses, because Moses was a prince, Moses was a shepherd, and Moses was a deliverer. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He is the Good Shepherd, and he's the one that delivered us from our sin. Amen? Moses, type of Christ. And so he comes before the Lord and he says, come on, come, I pray, let me cross over and see the good land. I've been in the desert long enough. There's, I heard milk and honey over I haven't seen it. I heard. I want to go. Please, right? Now, you might think, well, the Lord, come on, Lord, just cut the guy some slack, right? Why is it he doesn't get to enter in? Who remembers? He smote the rock. And let me tell you how significant that is. Because the rock is a picture of, of Jesus. And what Moses did is he portrayed to the people that God was angry with him when he was not. God loved them. He cared for them. The rock was to be smote one time, and then that water came out, and that water is what made, quenched the thirst of all the people. And now Moses gets angry, and he goes over with his staff, and he hits the rock twice in anger. And the Lord says, okay, you can't go. And you know what? He's a dad who doesn't change his mind. Amen? I don't care how much whining you, you're not. No, I said no, that's it. One time is all he's got to say. God says no once, that's enough. Amen? And so he comes and says, please. Now look at verse 26. But the Lord was angry with me on your account. And, and Moses is still kind of blaming it on the people a little bit here. The Lord was angry with me on your account. He was angry with me because of how I portrayed him to you. He was angry with me because I portrayed him in a wrong way before you and would not listen to me. So the Lord said to me, enough of that. Now, if the Lord says to you, enough of that, it's not good, right? Time to be quiet. Enough of that. Oh, okay. Yes, Lord, right? <laughs> Speak no more to me of this matter. Enough of that. Speak no more. God is faithful to his word, both in his promises and in his judgment. God, some people say that, well, maybe when we get to heaven, you know, maybe God will just change his mind and he really won't judge people who've rejected him and there really won't be a hell after all. Have you ever heard somebody say that? I have. God will not change his mind. Amen? He won't change his mind. Why? If he could change his mind, it would prove that he's not perfect. He's perfect. He doesn't have to change his mind. Amen? Period. We have to change our mind because we're messed up. He's God. He doesn't have to. He already knows. He's perfect. Enough of that. It may seem a little harsh to punish him for this one slip-up, but again, he held Moses to a stricter judgment because he was in a leader, leadership position. God had chose him to, to be the one to represent him to the people. The Bible says in James 1, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. And worst of all, again, he misrepresented God and he made, again, the cross of Christ he harmed that testimony, and God still said no. You know what? We can repent, and we'll be forgiven, but sin still has consequences. Amen? Has God forgiven him? Yes. Does his sin still have consequences? Yes. Okay, both those things can be true. 
Last few verses. Go up to the top of Pisgah, it's a mountain, and lift your eyes toward the west and the north and the south and the east, and behold it with your eyes, for you shall not cross over this Jordan. So he let him go up on top of this mountain, and he was able to look over, and he got to see the land flowing with milk and honey. Now, I don't know if this is better or worse. Go on up and look and see where you're not going, right? So he goes up and he looks over like, man, that is sweet. Not going though, right? Look over. Kids, there's Disneyland on the right. We're not going. But look at the Matterhorn. Look at the big ride. That's sweet. There's Mickey out front. Wave at him. We're not going there, right? It's interesting that, it's interesting that guess where Moses dies? On this mountain. He goes up on top of this mountain and he dies looking out at what he missed out on because he got angry and he misrepresented God. He missed out on God's highest because of disobedience. Just like we can miss out on God's highest because of disobedience in our own lives. You know what's neat though? Didn't God earlier promise Moses that he would enter into the land of promise? Didn't he tell him he'd enter in? What's the answer? Yes, he did. He told him that he would enter in. So, you, Pastor Dave, you just told me God's never wrong. And there, do you know that he snuck him into the land of promise later? 1,500 years later, who was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus when the apostles went up there? Moses. Guess where the Mount of Transfiguration is? It's in the land of promise. So he didn't get to go and he had to die and he missed out on it, on it because of his disobedience, but God still fulfilled his promise to Moses and he was on the Mount of Transfiguration 1,500 years later. Last two verses. But command Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him, for he shall go over before his people, and he shall cause them to inherit the land which you shall see. So he stayed in the valley opposite Beth Peor. Now, I like this about Moses, because if someone told me I wasn't going, by the way, you're not going, train him. He's taking him in in your place. You were in charge for 40 years. You had the 3 million whiners. He gets to go into the land of promise, not you. You know that promotion? We're not giving it to you. We're giving it to the new guy. Now you train him, right? Oh, no, I do right? How would you respond? I'm taking my staff and going home, right? Moses could have said that, right? <laughs> go, back to, go back to some sheep, right? They listen to me. He didn't do that. I love Moses' heart here. What does he do? Moses says, you know what? Even though God said no to me, it doesn't mean that God doesn't want to continue to use me. It wasn't his highest that I was going to get to experience. God. It was my disobedience that made me miss out on God's highest in my life, but God still wants me to encourage Joshua. God still wants me to be a part of what's going to happen. So Lord, if I'm not allowed to do that because of my disobedience, I'm going to be faithful in what I can do. And I love Moses' heart because he encourages Joshua. And Moses knew it wasn't about him, but it was about loving God and loving the people. If you look at our bulletin, it says, preach the word, love the people. We have a saying in the church office, it's about the people. It's not about our study time. It's not about, you know, it's about the people. And we need to all remember that. That's what ministry is, it's people, amen? And so we see here that he was more concerned about the people and he would do anything he could to prepare them to go in. He knew it wasn't about him. He remained faithful even after God said no. How do you respond when God says no to you? All right. All right, fine, God, okay, fine. Don't give it. I prayed for the Cadillac and you won't give it to me, then that's it, all right? Right? Lord, I prayed for that woman that, that she's fine. I'm telling why didn't you give her to me? I prayed. I prayed every day for a week. And you didn't, right? God says, no, 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 no. I, that's bad news for you. You don't understand, right? 
God knows and he loves you. Trust him. And when God says no, we can either rebel or we can say, God, you're sovereign, you're faithful, I trust you. You know what's best for me. You know why I didn't get that promotion? I don't, but I trust you. You know why I didn't get to, get to move there? You know why I, didn't, that house, I couldn't buy that house after all? You know why what's going on in my health? I trust you, God. I trust you, even when you say no. Even when you choose not to heal me. Respond in obedience. So how do we respond to God's promises? In closing, respond in obedience and we'll live a victorious Christian life. And we'll be able to overcome any giant that comes our way. Amen? Because God is greater than that. If we don't fully trust Him, don't fully trust His promises, if we're focused on the temporary things of this world, we're going to settle for less than God's highest and we're going to miss out on so much. And then lastly, when things don't go your way, or the way that you think they should, can I encourage you to trust in God and His sovereignty and to continue to minister to others, not to grow bitter and be rendered totally ineffective. Because Moses remained faithful because he knew that God knew what was best. And lastly, You've heard me say this many times, and some of you are new. Why was Moses not allowed to enter in? I believe this is part of it. Because Moses represented what? The law. And Joshua's name could also be translated Jesus. And Moses could not bring them into the land of promise because the law cannot deliver us from sin. Only Jesus can. Amen? And I believe this is all part of that plan to say, Moses, you can't enter in because you're the representation of the law. It's Joshua. Yahshua is his name. The same name of the Messiah that I'm going to send. Only, only he can bring people into the land of promise. God's word fits perfect. His plans are perfect, and his plans and what he's doing in your life is perfect. If we'll just trust him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the promises in your word. And we thank you, Lord, that You've given us that promise of your Holy Spirit living inside of our lives. The Lord, we don't walk this life alone. Father, I pray that you would help us to, to trust you, even when we don't fully understand. Lord, to respond to the promises you've given us, to trust in your sovereignty, your grace, and your mercy. We thank you, Lord, that your word says that all things work together for good for those who trust in God, for those who are called according to his purpose. And we thank you that the word all means all. And Father, help us, Lord, to trust you and to step out and not to settle for less than your highest, not to look for physical comfort, but Lord, to desire you and to be passionate for you and to pursue you with our whole hearts. And Lord, when you say no, help us to trust you and to accept your word and to believe that you know what is best for us and not to be bitter, but Lord, to still reach out and continue to be faithful to minister to those around us. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.